Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. Praise you, Jesus. Amen. Well, between the ages of five and nine, I lived with a guy that was probably the best male figure in my life. He was like a stepdad to me, and I looked up to him, and and his name was Jerry, and Jerry was a musician, and he was just this cool guy. You know, he had jet black hair, slicked back. Anybody live long enough to remember the slicked back hair days? Anybody in here when you had hair? Come on, how many know, right? Okay, And, and Jerry was a musician. He was hand. Handsome. He was cool. He worked at a plant Monday through Friday, and he was the house band for a club on Friday through Sunday. And if you know my story, that's why I stayed with this Christian family Friday through Sunday. Um, but I just loved Jerry. In fact, I stayed in touch with him until he just passed here just a few years ago. And, uh, and, and when I was a kid and I lived with him, I wanted to be just like him. He dressed cool. He was kind. He kind of had that Elvis thing going, you know, and, uh, and, and I kind of liked that thing. And so I did my best to imitate him. And so here I am when I'm eight years old trying to look like Jerry. Come on. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a, what kind of laugh that was at all, but uh, yeah, my how times have changed. But there I am trying to slick back my hair. And I, I was going to imitate. I wanted to be a singer. I'd go in my bedroom and get my hairbrush out. And, you know, come on, how many of you did that? Let me see your hands. Come on. You guys are lying. Only two people raise your hand. Oh, boy. Well, anyway, I wanted to imitate. I wanted to be just like him. And, um, and, and that's what Paul talks about as he opens this chapter number five. Okay, you could take that down now. It's really bothering me, all right? I feel weird, my little me looking at me. That's kind of weird. Anyway, but anyway, as we open chapter number five, of course, when Paul wrote this, it was a letter, and he didn't have chapters, but he really gets down into some stuff here in chapter number five about how we live our lives. So let me give you a reminder. Uh, If you're newer to the series or haven't been here since the beginning, Ephesians chapter one through three is about what happens when we receive Christ. We we become uh, sons adopted sons and daughters of God. We are seated with him. We are redeemed. All the benefits that we get when we receive Christ into our life, chapters one through three. But then chapters number four through six begins to show us or tell us how to live that out. In other words, I love how Ephesians does it because it tells us all the benefits before it tells us all the ways we're supposed to walk that out. Uh, That's interesting. The flow of how Paul does that is really interesting. It's really the right order. He's saying, here's what you get in Christ, but here's how you walk it out once you are in Christ. And the order of how Paul writes that is very significant because 
It's not that we live in a certain way and therefore become a Christian. It's that we become Christians, and because we're Christians saved by grace, we begin to want to live a certain way. It changes everything from a I have to to a I get to. Come on, how many know what I'm talking about, right? And there's a big difference. Um, as we become Christians, uh, we, our want to starts changing. How many know what I'm talking about, right? How many have experience this? How many still haven't? Let me see. Yeah, okay, all right. And uh, if we had to live a certain way to become Christians, then we would be saving ourselves. See, Paul doesn't put chapters 4, 5, and 6 in front. He puts chapters 1, 2, and 3 about the benefits of coming into Christ. Because the order determines the outcome. He wants to make sure it's not about what you do to get there. It's that once you receive how we should start living. Because if it was about what we did in order to get salvation, he would be preaching a message of religion. Am I right about that? But we live in a certain way because we have been saved uh, by what Christ has already done for us. So when he opens chapter number 5, he's been talking about all these blessings. And then chapter 4 was the blessings of the church and the structure of the church. And then he gets into it because not only does he deal with church, he deals with family, he deals with society. But he really talks about our personal conduct as Christians. And here's how he starts. Chapter number 5, verse number 1 and 2, he says this, Therefore, be imitators of God. How many are already checking out right now, right? I mean, no, that's a tall order, right? Therefore, be imitators of God. Now, when I watch, in order for me to imitate Jerry, I had to watch Jerry. I had to see how he did things. I, I would go in the bathroom as a little kid and watch him slick his hair back, and I was like, oh, I think I could do that, right? In order to imitate God, you have to know God, right, everybody? And that's exactly what he's saying here. He says, therefore, be imitators of God. And this next line is critically important. Again, Paul is big on order. He says, as beloved children. So let's dive into that a little bit. The best illustration I have is, is we got this little granddaughter. Her name is Kenny or Kennedy. And, um, and, and I know when Jake speaks, he can do all the dad stories. But today, I'm going to tell some pop-pop stories. Is everybody cool with that? All right. And, and, and I love, I watch her. She'll imitate mom and dad. Mom and dad work at home, from home, on computers. And they're on computers most of the day. And sometimes I'll go visit Kenny and and she's sitting there with her fake computer, and she's pushing buttons too because she's imitating someone that she loves. You guys hearing what I'm saying? Uh, uh, I, I, I was planting this year, and she decided, Mom, I need a shovel so I can work in the garden with Pop Pop. Come on now. Yeah, she's imitating. I hope she'll keep doing that with bigger shovels. How many know what I'm talking about, right? Okay. And, 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 and so the other day I was playing with her, and, and I said, hey, Kenny, I got a game we could play. And, and, and she said, okay. And I said, I want you to walk like me. And she said, okay. So I would walk some funny ways. I'd walk without bending my legs. And I'd, I'd do this. I'd turn around. She was doing her best to do that. And, and then I'd waddle side to side like this. And she would waddle side to side. And then I would walk like this. And, and she would try her best. It wasn't quite down. I think her moves were a little better than me. Well, her knees are a little better than mine. So, But anyway, she was trying to mimic or imitate someone that she loved, come on, or looked up to, 
or lived with or lives with or does life with. And it's going to be hard to imitate God, come on, if we're not doing life with him outside of Sundays. Come on, you know that's a good place for an amen whether you like it or not, right? Imitators, followers, copiers, copying to act like. I think the greatest challenge as a Christian is to act like God, to act like our Father. Now, I wanted you to see this one line because it says, be imitators of God. And that verse says, can I have that verse again? It says, as beloved children. That's an important little tagline on there. Uh, Kenny wasn't trying to walk like me so that I would love her. It's because she knew that I love her and she loves me that she wanted to mimic me. She wasn't doing it to earn love. Come on. Paul is saying something here. Paul didn't say imitate God to be loved. He didn't say imitate God to be accepted. He didn't even say imitate God to make it to heaven. He said, because he has loved us so much, and he's adopted us, and he's seated us, now we ought to imitate who he is. Because we are loved, we ought to walk like our Father. Come on, are you guys hearing that today, right? Matter of fact, here's a very tweetable statement. You can take a picture of it. Here's your tweetable statement in that. If we know who we are, we will know what to do. See, if we know who we are in Christ, then we know what to do. Religion gets that backwards, and sometimes churches, even with the name Christian on the outside, get it backwards because they're constantly trying to tell you what to do before you identify who you are. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to get you to do some things. I, I just want you to fall more in love with God all the time and understand who you are in him. And once you understand who you are in him, your want to will change. And your, because your identity is the doorway into your, uh, uh, into your destiny. And I think that too often the church has sent the message that if, that, that if you want to be loved, you better act like God. Come on, I don't know about you, but I grew up in church. I grew up hearing this message in church. I grew up hearing the message, go to church, hear a message about how bad I am, but God is good, so do better, and we'll see you again next Sunday. That, that was the routine. You're bad, God's good, do better, see you next week. Anybody been to the same church? Right? Uh, every message was do this and do that. Every message was do, do, do. <laughs> I call those doo doo messages. <laughs> it stinks because we're trying to tell people how to externally behavior modify without first realizing what Paul told us I'm seated with Christ. I'm a child of God. And that identity brings me into my destiny. Come on, we can't get it backwards. Uh, and um, and we, we accept that we are beloved children, then we want to imitate. And then what happens is Paul, throughout the rest of this chapter, and, and really these few verses, it, it really turned into a series. Matter of fact, I had so much content just for these first 14 verses, I had to do a rewrite on this message because I had way too much. And, um, and so Paul begins to tell us then, if we're going to imitate him, here's how we imitate him. And if you read these next few verses, which we'll do together this morning, he talks, he talks to us about how to walk. Hey, Kenny, walk like me. 
And, and he tells us how to walk. And so he'll tell us, he says, walk in love. He says, walk in light. And he says, walk in wisdom. Woo, come on, you ready for him? Are you guys awake today or are you on vacation? I just want to, you, you with me? All right, here we go. Let's walk in love. Come on, there's a good place for an amen, right? The church, the people of God, the sons and daughters, if anybody in our world ought to be walking in love, it ought to be those that have been loved and been adopted and been redeemed. Come on, we ought to walk in love. Verse number two, here's how he starts off. He says this, and walk in love. Come on, this is pretty direct, isn't it? I mean, there it is right there. He says, be imitators of God, and then he tells us how to do that. Walk in love. Just as Christ also loved you, and he gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Walk in love. Just as Christ, uh, how, how many of you know 1 Corinthians 13? We know it as the love chapter, right? And in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, when we talk about what love is, first of all, we need to understand that God is love. And because God is love, if we're going to imitate God, then the first step in imitating or walking like him is to walk in love. God is love. 1 Corinthians 13, it says love is, but really, if God is love, then God is all those things in 1 Corinthians 13. Have you ever read this chapter? It it starts off and it says stuff like, it, it says some really tough things. Buckle up. Here's what it says. It says love is patient. Isn't that a great first one? Love is patient. Oh, here's a good one. Love is kind. If that was being written today, it would be saying love is kind on social media. That's what it would say, and, and, and then it says love is not rude amongst a whole bunch of others, but I don't read all the other ones yet because I still am struggling with the first couple. But Paul is telling me to imitate God and be patient and be kind and don't be rude. And I'm thinking, imitate God? I can't even imitate my wife. You know, I mean, Patty is the epitome of love. I can't even walk like her. She is so patient with people. How many of you are like me? Everything bothers you? Let me just see your hands. The rest of you are saved. Thank you for you five that are on the journey with me, all right? Let us do counseling while the rest of you watch. I mean, I went to the grocery store not long ago with her, and I seen a guy in the grocery store shopping in his pajamas. Now, this doesn't bother most of you, but I'm like, what is his problem? And and if it wasn't for my wife, she's like, honey, settle down. It's okay. And I'm having a moment. Like, what are you doing, guy? Get dressed. Get a job. Get a life already. Right? She said, honey, be patient. And so she preaches these messages. I'm just preaching what she preaches to me. And then we get to the cash register, and, and I go to the shortest line. How many of you do the shortest line? Because next to me was a woman with the whole grocery store in four carts, all right? So I didn't want to be in that line, so I went to the short line. Got in the short line, and the lady finished, and the lady told her how much it was. And then the lady turned around with her receipt and said, uh, excuse me. Um, you charged me $1.99, and I had a coupon for this, and it was $1.89. And oh no, and it went on forever. I mean, for, I was like, look, I'll give you $1.99, just get out of the way, right? I mean, the lady with four carts was already over. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be an imitator of God, and love is... 
Now, patience, when he talks about love as patient, it's not patient like, you, you know, you love waiting in line. If you love waiting in line, you have other issues that I can't help you with, all right? <laughs> love is patient is being patient with other people's pajama-wearing, coupon-clipping shortcomings that you don't have. <laughs> patience is about being patient with people. Not about process, but with people that are still on the journey. And I'm like, man, why, Paul, did you have to write chapter 5? See, what Paul is saying is, is something very important. Our behavior is not just the absence of evil, but it's also the presence of love. Because I know a lot of Christians that have the absence of evil in their life. You know, they don't do the big ten sins. But you can't tell that they love anybody. You know what I'm talking about. Have you ever been to a church filled with these people? They don't do nothing wrong, but they don't do nothing right either. Right? It's, looks like, it's like they're doing all the right things, but they're not happy about it. Yeah? And um, it's the presence of love. Remember, it was Jesus that said in John 13, he said, It is by this that all men will know that you are my disciples. By how you worship God, by how you carry your Bible, by how, no, by how you love one another. See, what Paul's getting at right here, it's not just the rejection of sin, but it's the practice of grace. It's the give and the take. He's saying, because you've received grace, come on and give some grace. See, for too long, the church has been known for what we are against. And I think it's time that we're known for what we're for. We're for God. We're for good. We're for honor. Come on, everybody, right? We're for people, whether they vote the same way you do or not. We're for people. I wonder what would happen in our life, in the life of a church, if we would just love the people that God loves. Come on, everybody, right? Let me, let me go off a little bit here and just say this. Someone here today, either watching online or sitting in this crowd, needs to be reminded. You've once known it. But somebody needs to be reminded that God loves you. Because you walk around with the feeling of failure, not enough, condemnation, thinking about your past. But you need to know that you are as beloved children. As a follower of Christ, yeah, but can I mess up? I know, but isn't it great that God's love is bigger than our mess-ups? Because love is patient, and love is patient with people in the process. And, and so uh, you just need to be reminded. Somebody here just needs to know God loves you. You're all right. Quit listening to the voice of the enemy. And quit being fearful because you're afraid, oh, I've done too much wrong, or how could God ever love me? In John chapter number 4, it says that perfect love casts out all fear. So I want to say to somebody, quit living under fear, quit living under condemnation. God loves you. Aren't you glad for it today? He loves you so much that he seated you with Jesus as adopted sons and children of God. Amen, everybody. And I just have this conviction that we are the most loved people. I mean, God loves his church. He loves his sons and daughters. Come on, parents, do you love your sons and daughters? Most of the time, at least. Well, God is patient and he loves us. Watch this. And so loved people should love people. 
Mm-hmm. Be imitators of God. Love is patient. And then he says, not only to walk in love, but then he says this, and man, now he's going to really get in our face. He says, also walk in light. He says, you, you, you used to walk in darkness, but what fellowship does darkness have with light? Mm-hmm. This point might make you mad that you came to church today. I'm just warning you ahead of time, all right? Walk in light. Check out what he says. I'm going to jump ahead to his conclusion to verses 4 through 7, and then I'm going to come back and backfill it. But watch what he says in verse number 8. He says, for you were once darkness. You were once darkness. I love how he says it. He didn't even say you used to do dark things. He says you were darkness. Come on, how many know what I'm talking about? I mean, you might look and say, oh, I could never do that. You are darkness. And if sin had time to incubate in your life, you'd be surprised how dark you could get if light hadn't invaded your life soon enough. Mm -hmm. And so you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You are the light. It's not just that you do good things, that you are light. Live as children of light. Be imitators of God and live as children of light. Paul leads off here, and he's going to backfill this now. Verses number 3 through 5 is really, this verse is the conclusion to verses 3 through 5. And, and Paul gets down here. Paul gets really in our business, and he gets pretty negative. He, he's actually preaching a message that wouldn't go over in a lot of churches today. But I'm glad you're not just a lot of churches, right? And so here's what it says. How many know it's fun to just preach topics, but sometimes we need the Bible to preach us? And, and so we have to do that. So he's telling us things that as children of light, we just shouldn't do anymore. Are you guys ready for it? Here we go. Ephesians chapter number 5, verse number 3. Remember, you said you were ready, all right? But sexual immorality, uh-oh. I mean, no, he's really, he, he's meddling now. Mm-hmm. Or any impurity or greed must not even be mentioned among you as is proper among saints. There's a verse that doesn't really fit culture today. There's a verse that doesn't really grow your church today. Come on, somebody, right? I mean, but that's what it says. And I find this interesting. Let me, let me back this up a little bit. Sexual immorality and impurity or any impurity, that's actually in the original writing one thing because it's sexual immorality or impurity is what he's saying there, okay? So that's one. And then he moves down here to greed. And he says, or greed. Don't those just seem like two random kind of things that you, I, I mean, there's a whole lot of sins he could have picked out, right, everybody? But he picks sexual immorality and he picks greed. And so when I read that, I was like, Paul, like, why did you pick those two? Out of all the illustrations of different sin and different things we can do wrong, why did you pick these two? Well, let's investigate it a little bit. Sexual immorality and sexual impurity. Um, First of all, it's important that we understand the time that Paul is writing in. So let me back this up a little bit. Um, There was a belief going around at the time, particularly in the Roman world, and it was invading the seven churches. Therefore, Paul writes about this, and it was a philosophy called Gnosticism. 
Uh, and I'll explain that. So Gnosticism, that's the word, and Gnosticism, this philosophy or this belief, here's what it said. And see if you don't kind of, see if it doesn't sound a little familiar with some of the philosophies of our world today. The philosophy of Gnosticism, which by the way, was adopted by Christians that were sitting in the church. This philosophy said that we are a body and a spirit but the body didn't get saved, only the spirit got saved, so it doesn't matter what I do with my body. Let's just let that simmer just a minute. Yeah, it, that, that was invading the church. So they were saying, my body didn't get saved, so my body can do whatever my body wants to do. But how many of you have come to realize your body doesn't usually have appetites that are godly? Can I get an amen? Come on, how many of you ate chocolate cake at midnight last night? You know what I'm talking about? The body is usually not going, woo, that sounds, you, you, you know, saying, that doesn't sound spiritual. And, and sexual sin was all over the Roman world and was being accepted. This was being accepted in the church. Now, so we have to define what is sexual immorality. We don't like to define this, but here's the original writing. In the original writing, it was written in Greek, and the word is pornea. And the word pornea is um, where we get the word pornography, and we think in today's culture that pornography is looking at bad images on the internet. But pornography is way bigger than that. Paul said, if you're going to be imitators of God, there should be no sexual immorality, no pornea in your life. Pornea is meaning any sexual activity outside of God's definition of marriage. I know, look how uncomfortable we are. But that's God's word. I didn't choose to preach this topic today. It chose to preach me. Come on, somebody. It's in Ephesians chapter number five. Whoa, I'm so excited. What a great topic to deal with, right? But God, watch this. God gave us the gift of sex, and it's to be used within the boundaries of marriage. And outside of marriage, God knows that people will get hurt when it's misused. People will get abused when it's misused. Emotions will be hurt. Bodies will be hurt. Relationships will be hurt. You see, it is God that created two institutions. He created created marriage, and he created the church. And if he created these two institutions, then he's the one that dictates the guidelines how we do the very institution that he created on both sides. And Paul tells us, because we're children, we have to imitate him, and he gives us examples of marriage, and he gives us examples as the church. Come on, everybody. It's not our world. It's his world. It's his institution that God created. How many know the devil always tries to pervert what God has created? How many know he has perverted sexuality? How many know he's perverted what happens in churches sometimes? Come on. Okay, everybody take a deep breath. I can tell you're really uncomfortable right now. And he goes on a little bit further, and he says this. He says it's not just sexual immorality. He says it's sexual impurity. And, and, and he just uses the word impurity because the word impurity is a broader definition that includes all that I just said and more. And here's the more that impurity includes, all right? Impurity includes words like drunkenness, uh, yeah, drunkenness, 
or, or riotous behavior or lewd conversation or this Bible word that's uh, lasciviousness. You ever heard of this word in church? And what this means is promiscuous and unprincipled in sexual matters. So here's what Paul's saying. You've been adopted. You've received grace. Now imitate God. And one of the ways you imitate God is not just what you do, but it's what you don't do. Come on, are you guys hearing me? Right? Come, is everybody here? And so, and, and so then, then he goes from there and he goes to greed. And, and, and you wonder, well, okay, why does Paul choose these two? Why are these the two that he chooses? He doubles down in verses number four through five. Check this out. I'm going to explain why he picks these two. Watch. Nor should there be obscenity. Come on. How many know this is a rough list? Right? It's not like, a woo, this is the best Sunday of the year. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No, watch what he says. No immoral, impure, or greedy. Now, we just covered immoral and impure, or greedy. Doesn't that just seem random? Like, he's dealing with some pretty heavy-duty things in immorality and impurity, but now he adds greedy person in there. But watch this. Such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Wow. Now, if I had my choice, I would preach a lot of real feel-good messages and never have to deal with these things. But uh, I think God loves you too much, and I love you too much just to let you live life randomly. Come on. Oh, Radius is the fun place. Yeah, it's fun, but that doesn't mean anything goes. That means we still, as children of light, need to walk as imitators of God. Come on, everybody, right? Uh, sin, okay, so here's why he randomly, it seems like he randomly picks these two. He picks sexual immorality because it's rampant and it's creeping into the church and they're doing whatever they want to do in the church because of Gnosticism, all right? And sin is disobedience in your behavior to the ways of God. But not just external sin, sexual immorality, so he includes another thing. He, he wants to make sure he's dealing with not just the external sins, but the internal sins too. Now he's messing with the church, ain't he? Because we love to point our fingers at people that are doing external sins. All the while, we're gossiping about somebody. Yeah? We, we love to point at somebody that's strung out on drugs, and how could they do that while you're talking about somebody? So Paul wants to make sure, look, this imitating Christ thing is not just our external behavior, it's our internal motives also. Woo, come on now. Okay, let me explain why he uses greed, which he says greed is idolatry. And so idolatry is, is the first of the Ten Commandments. And so God is saying, is there anything that is more important to you than me? If there is, then it's an idol. If anything, if you're holding on to anything and saying, yeah, but that's not fair, then you're making that thing greater than God. Come on, everybody. Watch. Here's what he's saying. External disobedience to the things of God and internal idolatry are not imitating of our Father. Now, it would be really good for me to back up right here and pause and just say something that's important and differentiate between living in sin and struggling with sin. You following what I'm saying? 
there's a difference. Say, well, well could, I be, could I be struggling with drugs and make it to heaven? Well, of course you can. Can you be struggling with any kind of sin and make it to heaven? Well, of course we can. We're not in sin. Paul says, don't let sin no longer be your master. We're not in it, but that doesn't mean we don't fall down. How many's fallen down in the last six months? How many have fallen down in the last six hours? Let me see your hands. All right, see, right? And, and he's making sure he's covering. It's not just the external things that churches love to talk about. It's the internal things that are going on. It's idolatry. It's greed. It's jealousy. It's covetousness. It's, it's the internal things that are going on. Our morality and our ethics don't necessarily change the minute we got saved. Has anybody recognized this about yourself? The minute we get saved, it doesn't mean like God waves this magic wand and all of a sudden, bing. I mean, we don't ever think evil, see evil, say evil, right? How many of you have discovered it's a little bit of a journey? And some, for some, some areas are a harder journey than others. Am I right? Yeah, it's a journey. But they should eventually catch up. Yeah, you got saved today. And you've been saved 10 years. And eventually... Those ethics, the morality, the fruitfulness of our life ought to catch up to the, to the decisions that we made to be. See, when you accept Christ, you're, you're accepting the fact that I'm going to be an imitator now of the Father who has adopted me. This is what we call spiritual formation. Now, last week you were all excited about this because Jesus came along and said, follow me and I will make you. If we're allowing God to make us, then who we looked like five years ago is different than who we look like today. It doesn't mean that we don't struggle, because we all struggle with something. Um, but let me say it this way, and I wanted you to see this. This would be a good one to take a picture of. God's love and grace are not only a gift and a privilege, but also a responsibility. Mm -hmm. Who we love is grace. That means we're sons, we're adopted, we're redeemed. Wow, we are blessed. We have grace, unmerited favor. Wow, I love the grace. I love the gift and the privileges. But we often forget to preach the other side of that. It's also a responsibility to be a child of God. It's a responsibility to be the church of Jesus Christ. It's a responsibility to be a child of God. Come on, somebody. Right? We need to preach that. Yeah. Okay. And so then he moves on here because then he tells us what the light looks like. He says, no, no, don't just be light which is the absence of these things. But let me tell you, there's some character traits of being people of light. And, and here's what he says in, uh, can I get my next verse here? Verses number 8 through 11. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. There's that key word again, in the Lord. Live as children of light. Watch verse number 9. For the fruit of the light, so he's going to say, if you're children of light, there ought to be some fruit that you're children of light. And, and so he just, he, he just picked some out here. The, the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Wow, that's the fruit. Those are the character traits that if you're children of light. And find out what pleases the Lord. See, you can't imitate somebody you're not finding out about. I would go watch Jerry sing and I would watch how he held his microphone. I'd get my hairbrush and hold it the same way. 
right? So, so you got to find out what pleases God. Not long ago, I did a message called Unloading the Dishwasher, and I talked about my wife's love language, and it was my responsibility if I was going to love her to find out her love language and do the things that are important to her. The same responsibility we have as sons and daughters of our Father to find out what pleases our Father and imitate those character traits in God. Come on, we got to be talking about this stuff in the church, everybody. All right, so watch this. And find out what pleases the Lord. Verse number 11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. How many are so glad you came to church today? Right? When our spirit is intimate and in relationship with God's spirit, it just byproduct produces fruit. I don't have to give you five steps how to be good. I need to help you fall in love with God. And when you fall in love with God and start spending time with your father, come on, intimacy with the father. Uh, uh, husbands and wife, when you're intimate, you got some fruit running around here. There's some fruit back there giving our kids workers a hard time, all right? Because you guys were intimate together. The same thing in our relationship with our father. When we're close to him, when we're intimate, it, the byproduct of that is the fruit of goodness and of righteousness and, and of truth. Let, let's hit them real quick. Goodness. Goodness is full of virtue. That's what goodness is. It's full of virtue. It's full of excellence. It's full of, and excellence breaks down real practical like this. You show up on time and you don't leave before. Come on, you show up when you say you're gonna show up. You give a real hard day's work and you don't cheat your company. That's what excellence is. That's what goodness is. Hello. Yeah, and, and kindness, and, 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 and basically goodness is be good and do good, because our Father is good, right? And, and righteousness, righteousness is simply right standing with God. And once you recognize I'm in right standing with God, I, I can not only be right standing, but I can also do right, or right standing equals right doing. And truth is, the truth is what will set you free. So if I'm going to be an imitator of God, i got to know the truth of God's Word. Yeah? Okay. Let me move on. Verse number 10, he says, find out what pleases God. I love this. Find out what pleases God. That's what you're doing here today. That's what you're taking notes for. That's why you're reading your Bible. That's why you're praying. That's why you're surrounding your life with other believers is because you're finding out what pleases God. Verse number 11, he says then, expose darkness. Watch this, friends. You're only as sick as your secrets. Expose the darkness in your life. Because anything that's a secret in your life is not imitating God. Come on now, all right? Verse number 14, he says this. He says, wake up, O sleeper. That's why he says it. He says, you're supposed to be children of light. And then so he says, oh, wake up, O sleeper. How many of you use the snooze button when your alarm clock goes off? How many of you use it more than once? How many used it today? How many of your spouse punches you in the face because it's been going off for 20 minutes now, right? Right? Listen, in the church world, I need you to hear this. Paul is saying, look, you got to wake up to this stuff. Listen, 
the scripture is the alarm clock in our life that is causing us or wanting us to wake up. The message being preached, the message being taught is the alarm clock saying, hey, you're going down a wrong way. Don't do this anymore. And too many of us keep hitting snooze and saying, that message isn't for me. That principle isn't for me. Yeah, but if you only understood, no, no, no. The word of God is the word of God, and it's our alarm clock today to be imitators of God. Can I get an amen on that? Right? So quit hitting snooze. All right, let me do one more. Uh, Let me do one more. I'm going to need some friends after this service. All right, honey? Okay, here we go. Number three, he says, if you're going to imitate God, walk in love, walk in light, and then lastly, he says, walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. And you can't walk in wisdom if you're not learning the ways of the one we're trying to imitate. Okay? Ephesians 5, as we go on, verses number 15 through 18 says this. Be very careful then. Be careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So in other words, don't just waste your life. Live on purpose because the days are they're evil. They're bad and we need light. Therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine. Now, doesn't verse 18 seem way out of place? Because he's talking about living, making sure, redeem the time, living on purpose, uh, understand what God's will is in your life so you can be imitators. And then he goes into verse number 18, and it just seems like, where is that coming from? He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So I'm just going to cut to verse number 18, because I think you can kind of grab the rest of it. Part of walking in wisdom is walking and being filled with the Spirit of God. Because when we're filled with the Spirit of God, the Spirit changes us from the inside out. It's this thing called conviction. Have you ever felt it? And it's the Holy Spirit, it's the living God in you saying, no, don't zig, I want you to zag. Mm-hmm. That's the Holy Spirit. So Paul is saying, look, I want, if you're going to be imitators of the Father, then you would need to allow it to happen from the inside out, not because you got a list of things that you had to do. Because then Christianity becomes very mechanical and less, uh, uh, less organic. Are you following that? And so uh, Paul is contrasting then, this is interesting to me, Paul is contrasting getting drunk on alcohol with being filled with the Holy Spirit. I think he was like, it's an attention getter. He says, don't do that. And so, and, and so I, I started thinking about this, and, and here's what most of us know. We all know that alcohol makes us happy because it's a depressant. Alcohol enters into the system, and it literally depresses or suppresses um, the issues that you're dealing with. And, 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 and so the reason that you get happy is that your brain is less aware of the problems. Come on, anybody ever been? Uh, I mean, you know somebody like that, right? And, and so that's how alcohol works. It's why people on a stressful day will say, oh, I need a drink, because they're trying to suppress the things that are making them stressed. So they're not thinking about those, and that's why we get happy. The alcohol doesn't really make you happy. The alcohol is suppressing the things that are stealing your happiness. <laughs> so those things are still there when the happiness wears off. Can I get an amen? 
But, but that's not what Paul, Paul's not, Paul's not even preaching against alcohol here. He, he's talking about the spirit because the reason we get happy is that your brain is less aware of the problems. But Paul is contrasting saying that the spirit operates the exact opposite of alcohol. He's saying, have the Holy Spirit in you because the Spirit doesn't make you less aware of your problems, but the Spirit makes you more aware of your resources and convicts you of righteousness that you're in right standing with God. So it doesn't matter what problems I have, my God is bigger than all of them. That's what Paul is saying right there. Amen? All right. There's the start of chapter number five. I hope you come back next week. It'll lighten up next week. We're really going to get into family life. We're going to let, how many will choose, let's let the Bible read us instead of us just reading the Bible. Amen, everybody. Would you stand with me all over this place, and I'll let you get going and be on your way today.